Hey, good morning once again, Calvary Church. Those of you in the courtyard, welcome again. Welcome those that are listening on our live stream. We're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. Today we are in Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to simply sit on one verse, which is kind of nice as the preacher, as we've been covering a lot of chunks of scripture through this series. Today we just sit on one verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. And so I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. It's in the New Testament. As we continue what we're calling this particular part of Hebrews, living out our faith. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 is where I invite you to turn in your Bible. I'm going to read from the NASB version here. And this is what it says. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So this passage was originally written into the first century church a church that was experiencing extreme persecution and hardship. And they didn't have years and years of following Jesus. These were brand new baby believers in Jesus Christ in the way. And this book of Hebrews is saying, don't give up. Don't quit. God is faithful. God is great. You can trust in him. And as you live in this land of persecution, I call you, God is saying to these first century Christians, I call you to love one another, to show hospitality to each other, to honor marriage. And as we'll look at next week, to be free from the love of money. So in the midst of a, of a really hard season of life, these followers of Jesus are called to live in integrity and holiness. In this difficult season of pandemics and politics, we are called to live in integrity and holiness as followers of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Few disclaimers before we go any farther. I'm calling today a PG-13 uh, sermon, and there's nothing graphic or obscene that we'll cover today, but just to give you some context, particularly for those that are watching at home, because if you're like my family, whenever we're watching the live stream at home, we're all on the couch kind of together, all ages. Today, though, um, my wife Marie and I decided that our five-year-old and our third grader won't be watching my message right now. And so I would just invite you parents, if you're watching as a family at home, just some of the kind of content of Hebrews 13.4, um, I would just ask you to use your parental discretion um, in this message. And maybe you just want to go look at something else or, or read further along in Hebrews, and then you can watch this sermon later on on your own. So that's my first disclaimer, and in the courtyard too. This is a PG-13 message. My second disclaimer is this, and particularly, again, looking at those that are watching on our live stream, which is about two-thirds of our audience here today, is that you may not be a believer in Jesus. 
And we're so glad that you've tuned in. Maybe just by circumstances, you were scrolling Facebook and you found this live feed. That's not an accident. We believe that God intentionally has you watching right now, even if you're not a follower of Jesus. But some of the things that we're going to say today and look at in the scriptures, at best to you, may sound old-fashioned, and at worst, may feel dangerously cruel. Please don't throw down your remote or storm away, because I want you to hear the whole context of what this message is about. And primarily, it's this, God loves you and wants the best for your life. So don't storm out. Watch this whole context of the message. I encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet. The third disclaimer is this. In about 28 minutes, well, 27 now that I've talked more, um, we're going to try to cover the topic of marriage and sexuality. There's no way I can do justice to this and, and all that the scriptures say about it. So we're going to go pretty quickly. Buckle up. I hope you've had your coffee this morning because we're going to go fast. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. I, I actually want to make this into like a six or seven week series, and maybe we'll do that uh, down the road or maybe a podcast or something. But this will probably raise some questions that we won't be able to answer in this time. Uh, I encourage you even email me. Let's continue our dialogue uh, beyond uh, this Sunday morning. But here's what I want you to see as we look at the idea that marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed is to be kept pure or undefiled, is that God cares about marriage. I've titled this sermon, Marriage Matters. In fact, it matters so much to God that he mentions marriage at the beginning of the Bible and at the end. If you're in Hebrews 13, now go all the way back to the first book in the Bible, to the book of Genesis, and go to the first chapter in Genesis chapter 1. As we look at God's heart for marriage. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And it says this in the scriptures. Then God said, I'm in verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Then verse 29, then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food to you. And to every animal of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And then look at verse 31. And God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. A lot going on in this first chapter of Genesis. We see the triune Godhead involved in the creation of humanity. And they make humans, God makes humans in his image. Ima we are each image bearers 
of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God specifically and intentionally made humans with two genders, both male and female. And he saw, verse 31 says, that it was good. So right off the bat, I want you to see, I want us to see that marriage and gender was created by God. Marriage wasn't, wasn't invented by Pottery Barn or TLC. Say yes to the dress. It was made and created in the mind and heart of God. Now go from Genesis 1 over to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, to verse 18 of Genesis 2. And it says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Verse 23. Then the man said, At last, this is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. So we see in Genesis 1 that God made male and female in his image, and it was good. Marriage was created in the mind and the heart of God. And now in Genesis 2... We see the boundaries of marriage. It's between a male and a female, one male, one female, for a lifetime commitment. God designed this. God designed that this male and female would come together in a lifetime commitment and form one flesh, unified physically, emotionally, spiritually, Remember, we're made in the image of God. And so in the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we see perfect fellowship, perfect unity. And so the marriage between one man and one woman is somehow faintly supposed to mirror the perfect unity that we see in the Trinity. So God designed marriage for this purpose, to reflect him that were image bearers of him. And God created marriage to be permanent, one flesh. It says in verse 25 that they were naked and not ashamed. Say amen. <laughs> there was no shame in how God created this man and woman to join together physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Later in the Old Testament, it says that when divorce happened, it's like flesh tearing from the bones. 
And so God's showing us how important and deep and meaningful it is when a man and a woman come together in marriage for a lifetime. So that's Genesis 1 and 2. Right off the bat, God lays this out, that marriage matters. Now, I told you you're going to need your coffee. Let's go quickly here. Go to the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, looking at verse 5. And this is what it says. Mark 10, verse 5. This is Jesus talking. Mark 10, 5 says, But Jesus said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you, talking about God, this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. There are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. So what we see here is Jesus reaffirming the creation account. That marriage is between a man and a woman that become one flesh, a lifetime commitment. And then Jesus adds uh, another detail to the story. He says what God has brought together, meaning that God is involved in marriage. He has a stake and interest and concern and love for marriage. What God's brought together, let no person separate, Jesus says. Now, go from the Gospel of Mark. Now, go into the epistles, further and into your Bible, into the New Testament, into Ephesians chapter 5, as we read Apostle Paul's teachings on this very subject. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Ephesians 5.31 says it like this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We've heard that a couple times already, right? The Genesis account, Jesus affirming it, now Paul saying the same thing. Verse 32, though, a new detail emerges. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So marriage reflects something even bigger than what we see here in our present reality. There's a a future bigger purpose for marriage. Speaking of Christ and the church, verse 33, nevertheless says, for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I often tell couples that I have the privilege to officiate their wedding of. I tell them, no offense, I know you're spending a lot of money on this wedding ceremony, but this is just a dress rehearsal. This is just a dress rehearsal to something much bigger, which is Jesus coming back for the bride, the bridegroom coming back for the church. Jesus will one day return for us the church. Is that good news? That is good news here in 2021. The book of Revelation talks about that. If you're in Ephesians now, go to the final book of the New Testament, to, to Revelation chapter 19. 
Revelation 19, verse 7 says it like this. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. It says, let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to him because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared for herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And in verse 9, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he said to me, these are are the true words of God. So one day, we're all, if you're a believer in Jesus, will be invited to the ultimate wedding, the wedding between Jesus and his followers. So marriage matters. Book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation because it even points us to a bigger reality. So marriage is created by God. It's created by God to be for one man and one woman in a lifetime commitment. The purpose of marriage is affirmed by Jesus, and it points us towards a greater reality. Now, forgive me. Like, each of those points could be spoken on for, like, the next two hours. But I want to just give us another a refresher, a reminder of, of, of what marriage is when it comes to looking through uh, the Bible and God's heart. Now, back to Hebrews 13, 4. It says marriage is to be held in honor. If you look at the original language of that word honor, it also translates to mean precious or valuable. And so the writer of Hebrews, in the midst of this society that's persecuting believers in Jesus, is saying, hey, even in the midst of this really hard season, pay attention to your marriages. Hold them in honor. Look at them as valuable and precious. Now, it makes sense that if, if marriage points to a greater reality, that we're image bearers of God, that one day the bridegroom will come for the bride, Jesus and the church, doesn't it make sense that one of Satan's biggest targets would be marriage. And you see that attack all over the place, don't you, in our culture. I remember I got married decades ago, but I remember just casually telling people the summer that Marie and I got married that we were getting married. I remember being at Albertson's one time right down the street here from church, and the checker was like, how's your day going? And I said, I'm getting married uh, next week. And, and they go, oh, Really? And that's kind of a response of a lot of our culture, huh, to marriage. Like, really? You want to step into that? There's nothing but heartache and pain in that world. Or you really want to limit all your options? You're, you're so young. Marriage has a stain on it in our culture. And the reason for that is because Satan has a full assault on marriage, knowing that it points towards even a greater and bigger reality. And yet followers of Jesus are called to look at marriage as precious and valuable. And not only that, it says in the text here that that's all of us are called to look at it as precious and valuable. So what that means is whether you're married or not, you're called to look at marriage as precious. You could be a senior citizen 
You could be a child. You could be single or married. Wherever you're at, you're called to uphold the preciousness of marriage. In fact, when we all get invited to a wedding, we shouldn't be just excited to dress up and and reunite with some old friends. But no, we should look at that as a high task and calling and responsibility that we've been invited by a couple to enter into their marriage, to encourage them, to pray for them, to strengthen them. Is that how you view marriage? Whether you're married or not, do you look at your calling as a follower of Jesus to uphold the marriages around you, to be praying for those around you who are married? That's a high and important calling of the church And I call all of us to it. And then Hebrews 13, 4 goes on to talk about sexuality. It says that we are to keep and honor marriage and that the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled, or another way to say it, is pure. Marriage bed in this context, in the original language, is sex. And so we are called as followers of Jesus to look at sexuality from God's perspective and God's heart. Again, going back to Genesis chapter 2, if you're in Revelation or Ephesians or or back in Hebrews, now quickly go back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2.24, we see this. Again, I wanted to say it out loud. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. I want you to hear this morning, according to the account here in Genesis, God invented and created sex. And I also want us to note that God invented and created sex before sin. Before the fall of man in Genesis 3, Sex was established. So sex is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. It is from God. And we read in Genesis 1 and 2 that not only is it a good thing, but it's also for procreation. It's for creating a family. Somehow as image bearers of God, we are by his grace involved in creation. And we see that in this one flesh relationship, that sexual intimacy in a marriage is so much more than exchanging bodily fluids. That the oneness is not just physical, but emotional and spiritual. When a man and a woman come together, they establish something new, a new family under the headship of God. And so the Bible is clear that sex is for marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman. So God has a boundary for marriage, and within marriage, he has a boundary for our sexuality. Sam Alberry, in fact, I have a bunch of resources in the back. If if you're here and you got our notes when you walked in, or if you're online, you can find these on our website. 
have some great resources for you to look at beyond even this message here this morning. But Sam Alberry is an incredible writer. He is a man who is same-sex attracted. And yet, because he's a follower of Jesus, he's chosen to respect and understand that sex is only for a man and woman in marriage. And so he remains celibate by the grace of God. And Sam says this. Everyone believes in sexual restrictions. What is distinctive about the Christian understanding of sexual ethics then is this. And let me just sit, sit on this for a moment. Then everybody in our culture has some restrictions, boundaries for what they would say is appropriate sexually. The Me Too movement of the last several years has even shown that once again, as we've seen the destruction of sexual harassment and how that's played, particularly on women. And so we would look at certain situations like a Harvey Weinstein and say, that is wrong. And so we have a boundary over that. So everyone has their own restrictions and boundaries when it comes to sex. But Alberry goes on to say it like this. It's not the presence of boundaries that we can argue about, but where those boundaries are located and for what reason. So God has boundaries for our sexuality. And those boundaries have a purpose. It's not just to be a killjoy in our lives or, or to put his thumb on us to make us suffer. No, God has good purposes for why he says that marriage between a man and a woman and the boundary of sexuality is to be only explored in marriage. But before I get there, I even want to just point out that there's been three revolutions in the last 200 years that greatly impact how we look at sexuality. The first is the Industrial Revolution of 200-plus years ago, where factories became the norm, and we produced widgets of things. No longer would you go down to the cobbler to, to get your shoes, but instead you'd go to Foot Locker, and you'd pick out 100 different pairs of shoes that you wanted. And so now choice became supreme. Options became the norm. We became a consumer society. Now, the sin nature that we inherited in Genesis 3 made us consumers, but the Industrial Revolution just capitalized it and, in a sense, grew our appetite for stuff. If you don't believe me, drive down to Seal Beach today and look out at the Long Beach Harbor, and you'll see about 30 huge shipping containers all sitting out there waiting to move into the Long Beach Harbor full of stuff that you and I have ordered. So we live consumer, we have a consumer mentality. Then in the 1960s, the sexual revolution came upon our Western culture and really the whole world. And the sexual revolution preached two contradictory messages. One is that sex is no big deal. It's really no big deal. It's just satisfying your urges and your appetites. But then on the other hand, the sexual revolution has also taught us this or told us this. Sex is no big deal, but it also completely defines your identity. Do you see how those messages just kind of contradict each other? And so we're consumers. The sexual revolution happens. And then in the 80s, we have the tech 
revolution. Where now, thanks to our computers and in 2007, our smartphones, we now have instant access to any and everything. So our society and culture teaches us to be consumers, that sex is no big deal, yet it defines your identity, and we have this microwave culture where you get what you want when you want it. Do you see the recipe for disaster among our souls and hearts? We have a culture that has been broken sexually. Broken. What will the church do to respond to that? I have an answer in just a moment. But I want us to hear that that God's boundaries for marriage and sexuality are, are born out of his love for us. You see, we're called to hold marriage precious and, and sexuality precious because God holds us valuable and precious as image bearers of him. God designed sex to be part of a one flesh commitment, physical, emotional, and spiritual When that commitment is not there, it just leads to destruction. It's like a fire. A fire in the proper context is beautiful. It serves a great purpose. It keeps us warm. I'm very thankful for the 10 of you that are next to these flames around our courtyard right now. But as we know here in Orange County, when fires get out of control, they lead to destruction. And sexuality outside God's purposes and design lead to destruction. I'm just going to say a few words that just even prove this. Pornography. Human trafficking. Sexual abuse. Divorce. These things have caused such pain in our world. Such pain. Such pain in you and I. It's not God's purpose. God is good and loving and wants the best for each of us. And sexuality, like a raging fire, binding to the lies of our consumer mentalities, Sexual revolution, or we want it now, society, has just led to pain and destruction. It hits me because I talk to each of you so much about this. My office is located beyond these windows right here. I have so many conversations with people that I love that have just been absolutely burned when it comes to taking sexuality outside of God's purpose. And it hurts so bad. God never intends anything that he designs and creates. He never gives us boundaries for anything that he says, oh yeah, let's see you keep that one. That one's impossible. (laughs) You could never jump that high. No, God in his grace says, these are the boundaries. Man and a woman, lifetime commitment. Trust me, trust me. It's worth it. 
Our sexuality also reviews, reveals what we worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I just want to read a couple verses. Verse 19 says it like this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought for a price, therefore glorify God in your body. How we treat sex reveals what we truly worship. What do you worship? What is the supreme thing that you worship? In the 80s, there was a, a movie about um, Mozart. And in this movie, Amadeus, uh, Mozart walks in to visit the king. He's invited into the king's palace. He walks into uh, this great palace and, and into the throne room where the king is. And Mozart bows to the king. And the person that he bows in front of nervously says, um, excuse me, um, I'm not the king. The king's over there. And so Mozart finds himself bowing to the wrong thing, the wrong person. So many of us are bowing to the wrong thing. We're worshiping sex and maybe even worshiping marriage to the detriment of worshiping God. C.S. Lewis, if I'm going to paraphrase him here, he says this, sex becomes a demon the moment it tries to become your God. God is the only thing that's worthy to be worshiped. Nothing else will satisfy the cravings that we have in our heart, the longings that we have, the spiritual thirst that all of us contain. We need to worship Jesus. Again, back to Sam Albury, he says it like this, maybe our bodies are less like playthings and more like temples. Isn't that good? Our bodies are meant to worship God. So I want us to understand this. Marriage and sexuality are not to be idolized. My family, one of our favorite movies, in fact, we just watched it Friday night, is Father of the Bride. Do you like that movie? Steve Martin edition. Such a good, the original, such a good one. Um, and even as Christians, we could be guilty of, of idolizing marriage above God. It's not designed for that. It can't handle that type of weight. What we're called to worship is Jesus and Jesus alone. Only in Christ do we have complete love and acceptance. If you're married, your spouse cannot be your savior. Jesus is your savior. But also, we're not called to minimize marriage and sexuality. It has a place in the proper context. It's a wonderful way to bring worship and glory to God. But here's the thing. Hebrews 13 goes on to say this that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. That word sexually immoral is the Greek word pornos, where we get the word pornography. It says that God will judge those who listen to lies, who go away from what God has called us to do and how to live. And it's interesting that you look at Genesis 3, the same lie that 
that the evil serpent gave Adam and Eve, he gives to you and I too, particularly in the realm of sexuality. Genesis 3.1 says it like this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? That's what God is saying. I mean, that's what the enemy is saying about marriage and sexuality. Has God really said that? Really? Are you sure? Has God really said that marriage between a man and a woman and lifetime commitment? Really? Has God really said that your sexuality is only to be lived out in marriage? Really? Are you sure? The same lie in the garden is the same lie that we experience here in Orange County in 2021. So lie number one is this. Did God really say that? Lie number two is this. Well, God's holding something back from you. The serpent tells Eve, no, 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 if you, if you eat from that one tree, you're not going to be injured or hurt. You're, you're just going to be able to be like God. You're going to have full knowledge. That same lie is wrapped up when it comes to sexual temptation. No, there's going to be no big deal. There's, there's no one going to be hurt from this. Instead, you're going to find ultimate pleasure and, and love and, and romance and, and acceptance. There's a little bit of truth wrapped up in that, but ultimately it's a lie that leads to destruction. And then once we fall into sexual sin, then the enemy takes a new tactic. He says, go hide in your shame. We have so many followers of Christ who are living in shame because of sexual sin. That's right where the enemy wants us to be, to just be going into hiding. I see this all the time, even asking people like, hey, come serve, come be a leader. No, you, you don't know what I've done, what I've experienced. So we have a whole generation living in shame. Adam and Eve went and hid from God after they fell into sin. Many of us are hiding, so to speak, in our sexual brokenness and shame. And yet, there's hope. Here's a couple of truths, though. Truth number one is this, is that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. I think there's so many of us that don't have a proper fear of the Lord when it comes to our sexuality. That God is holy and there's consequences for sin. Let's not minimize that. We stand before a holy and mighty God. I want that just to let us sit, have that sit over us just for a moment. But here's the second truth. And this is why I hope you're all still tuned in right now. Second truth is this, that on the cross, Jesus took on the penalty and the judgment for our sins. On the cross, Jesus died for our sexual sins. Jesus took on our penalty. The one who was never married, the one who never sinned sexually is the one who said, I will bear it. That is good news for you and I. That is such good news for our culture that's sexually 
broken right now. That Jesus is willing to take on our judgment onto himself. I, uh, the, the topic here in Hebrews says, keep the marriage bed undefiled or pured. And that marriage bed, I don't know why, but it just makes me think of like a mattress that's like been tossed out. An un, a, a marriage bed that's been defiled is, is like a mattress been tossed out. And I've been thinking about this all week. And as I've been driving around our city here, I've been noticing tons of mattresses just out on sidewalks. And, and you know, if I came to you and said, hey, guess what? I, I have a wonderful mattress for you. I'm going to pick it up today and I'll deliver it to your house. And you're like, great, thank you, wow. And, and then I brought home a mattress that I had found on the side of the road. You, you wouldn't really be thankful for that gift. Many of us are feeling like mattresses on the side of the road because we've bought into the lies of the enemy when it comes to how we view marriage or sexuality. And yet there's such good news. For in Jesus, we're made holy and healed. In Jesus, we're made new. We are changed 1 Corinthians 6.11 says it like this. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right by God when you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that good news? As we call on Jesus, we're made cleansed, healed, and holy. That is what we can proclaim as the church. Many believe that Christians are, oh, you're so backwards or old-fashioned or, or dangerous when it comes to your views of marriage and sexuality. What I want the world to hear is this. In Jesus, you can be made healed and holy. In Christ, there is hope. There is good news for all of the sexual broken victims out there. That's what we can proclaim as followers of Christ. So here's how I want to challenge us. You may want to write this down. If you have a pen or, or paper or if on your phone, if you want to type this in on your phone, I want to give you a next step. I want to invite all of us here today, live in the courtyard and, and watching on screens to do something, even this afternoon. I want you to go kneel by your bed. Hebrews 13.4 says, keep the marriage bed undefiled. So I want you to go to your actual bed, physically in your home. And I want you to kneel in a sense of humility and dependence on God. And I want to invite you to do one of five things. Number one, maybe you just need to do business with God. On your knees, next to your bed, you just need to repent of buying the lies of the enemy. You need to repent of sexual sin in your life. I challenge you to do that. May the Spirit even convict you right now. That's what you need to do, to go to your bed, kneel, and call out to God. But then secondly, receive forgiveness and grace from Jesus, holy and healed, kneeling at your bed. Repent, but then receive Others of you, I encourage you to kneel at your bed and simply renew your commitment to honor God with your body. Maybe you're single and you're in a season of life that, boy, this has been such a hard time to stay pure sexually. 
kneel at your bed, repent, receive forgiveness, and then renew your commitment to walk, to honor God, to worship him above anything else. Or maybe you've been walking for a long time in sexual purity, honoring marriage. Today could be a day you just kneel at your bed and just resolve to continue to walk in sexual holiness, no matter your age or life stage, to kneel and say, God, by your spirit, I resolve to walk in holiness. And then finally, if you're married, maybe you need to go to your bed with your spouse, kneel and say, Lord, reignite intimacy in our marriage physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy in our marriage. The law, the second law of thermonuclear dynamics says this, that things tend to fall apart, not get better. So in other words, if you left your car in the parking lot for the next 30 years, when you came back in 30 years, it would not be as nice as it is today. The same is true in our relationships. If you're not tending to relationships, they tend to pull apart, not grow stronger. Maybe today, if you're married, you need to kneel at your bed with your spouse and say, God, reignite intimacy, physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy in this marriage. So I challenge us, wherever you're at, to take one of those five R's and do business with God today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word God, how we don't have to apologize that, that marriage and sexuality are created by you and that they're good. We don't have to back down from the truth that, that you have boundaries for marriage and for sexuality. But God, thank you that we also run to you, Jesus, for healing and holiness. God, may we be proclaimers of that truth in our lives today. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a new song for many of us called Graves to Gardens right now. And one of the lines in this song is so beautiful. It says, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. But then you, Jesus, came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Let's worship this Jesus who's worthy to be praised here today, who gives us healing and holiness. Amen? Let's worship.